When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo! Welcome in to the House of L podcast. House of L actual today. House of L actual. <laughs> That's what we are now referring to as this part of the podcast. Maddie's got her podcast. Oh, by the way, if you haven't checked out Maddie Lee's podcast, it's titled Little League Reunion, the latest episode. It's so good. Such a great concept and idea from her. But yeah, this is House of L Actual. When I do the episode. We are presented by Zenny. Zenny Zenny.com. I love it. I finally got my glasses. I've been kind of like going through. They have such a really cool selection of stuff on Zenny.com that I've been going through. I'm like, do I like this? Do I like this? And I, I found three pairs of glasses that I really loved. It was inexpensive, and they get it to you quick. I think I ordered it, and then I had my glasses within, like, seven days. It was really impressive. I don't know if that's the ordinary way that it works, but I got mine. So go zenny.com and get yourself some glasses. Who else can we thank for this lovely podcast today? Well, we can thank... David Hochberg of Team Hochberg. I'm actually working on a project with him right now. I'm looking for a new place. So the money guy is David Hochberg. I'm telling you, if you are looking to buy a home or refinance one, he's the one that you want to call. Team Hochberg, 855-56-DAVID or 56david.com. He's helped me with a bunch of projects from a real estate standpoint, and he can help you too. He's a good man and thorough, and I, I trust him with my life. Well, maybe not my life, but you know, I guess I'd, if I was in a pinch and he was the only number in my phone, I would be comfortable that he would come pick me up wherever I was. So the phone number is 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Homeside Financial is the equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. I mean, that's how we got to keep the lights on over here on House of L. It's only like two minutes. But that's how we keep the lights on here. The way that we're able to pay really fantastic people like Jason Leisure and Russ Dorsey and Maddie Lee. I'm telling you, the Maddie Lee, when she told me what she was thinking about doing, saying that she was going to do a reunion with her Little League team, I was like, that's such a great idea. And how many of us would love to do that? Like, get back together with our, our friends from Little League or from Pee Wee football and just catch up and have a good time. And that's what she did on that episode, and I implore you to go listen to it. I also implore you to check out this episode. This episode was fun because it's weird. Alexa Dat and I have, we crossed over for like a half a minute. Like, not even a full minute, like a half a minute. 
over at Stadium or back in the day when it was 120. I think that she's incredible, and we both have had a partnership with Michael Kim, which you'll hear us talk about, like how both of us just adore him. You know, six degrees of Michael Kim is really just one degree of Michael Kim. But Alexa and I vibe, man. I, I hope that you'll be able to hear that throughout this conversation that we had on House of L Actual. She's so talented and so passionate about baseball. She's a gigantic Washington Nationals fan for sure, and we talk about that. But her whole vibe is dope, and I love watching her on MLB Network. She does a tremendous job, and it comes through. Like, it really comes through. Like, when you see her on the air, like, you can tell how much she cares about the game. She cares about broadcasting, too, and and we got into the weeds and talking about building a career from scratch, and she wasn't handed anything. She had to work, and she she figured out that she could combine her love of sports and her love for journalism and turn it into a thing, and now she hosts the rundown on MLB Network. She's a top-notch individual, and she has a podcast, too. Now, this is going to sound confusing, okay? Her podcast is called That's What She Said, okay? D-A-T-T, like her name. Her last name is Dat. Our friend Sarah Spain also has a podcast called That's What She Said, but that's spelled that way. Alexa is having some fun with her name in it. She gets the biggest names in baseball. She's done episodes with Tim Anderson and Lucas Giolito and Jason Hayward. She, that podcast is popping. You should check it out for sure. But I'm glad that she and I, like we, Alexa and I, like we really, like we talk a lot during the baseball season. Like she's paying attention to everything. And if something's going on with the White Sox or the Cubs, she'll be like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, hey, what are you hearing about this? And it's fun. I'm glad that we've, we forged this kind of cool baseball friendship. And I really dig her, and I think that you will too. Uh, she's, she's the goods, man. At Alexa Dat is where you can follow her on Twitter. And this is my conversation with the host of the rundown of MLB Network and the Dat's What She Said podcast, Alexa Dat. Hi, Lawrence. What's up, kid? What's up? Oh, nothing much, man. I'm just mad. Like, I'm really mad because the Cubs are playing the Sox. And for some reason, neither one of the stations is carrying it. I, I hate that they do that. I'm like, we just went so long without baseball. Yes. Why would you not make it available to literally every eyeball that wants to see it? I, I, don't, I don't understand it. It's so weird. It's crazy. I know. It's really unfair for people, too, because... They're giving out spring training tickets, and it's like, hey, that's great for people who feel healthy enough to be able to go. Right. The majority of the population does not, so they just take the L. Like, that's terrible. Yeah, it's really – like, I was sitting there going, oh, yeah, Cubs and Sox play today. I'm like, go over to Marquee? Nope. Go over to NBC Sports Chicago? Nope. Like, this is crazy. Like, it's it's crazy. So, whatever. Um, 
I thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to hit record now. Um, and I'm so happy. Like, I'm so I'm so happy that you were available to, to come and hang out with me for a little bit on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's awesome being able to see you. Yeah, I, I know agree. We haven't seen each other in a minute, right? Yeah, it's been a couple of years since I, I made yeah. the the trip to Chelsea Pier and and, and saw all of that that incredible organization that you work for for sure. <laughs> I want to start. I want to start at the beginning though. I want to start like I know that you you're a crazy Nationals fan. Like you love mm-hmm. the the Nats. Where did that love of baseball come from? I grew up playing t-ball with the boys and then I switched over to softball in you know middle school and high school and I just always loved it I was an Orioles fan growing up because that was the team that was around I was at 2131 when Cowherkin Jr. broke Lou Gehrig's record and it was one of the most incredible sports moments I've ever seen in my entire life watching the 2131 the banner change when it dropped down on the brick building was an image that I'll never get out of my head. Cal Ripken doing the home run trot afterwards and the place just going crazy. I was like, oh, this is what baseball is? Yeah, I'm in. I'm 100% in. I'm buying it. And I was in like sixth grade. I mean, I was really young, but I was like, I got my Orioles earrings uh, on the way out. Like, I was good to go. I was like, I'm set, man. Um, And then the Nationals came to town when I ended up working for a regional sports network. And they sent me out there to cover the team. And I was there for opening day and I just fell in love with the Nationals. I mean, I'm DC everything, right? I'm a huge Wizards fan, the Capitals fan. I'm a Washington football team fan. So it made more sense for me to be all in on DC rather than have this one random team like the Orioles, even though I grew up rooting for them because I wasn't a Ravens fan. You know, you normally are like an O's Ravens fan because there's this DC Baltimore, you know, not rivalry, a little bit of a vibe. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. So I wanted to be all in on DC. And then uh, from opening day, essentially, Ryan Zimmerman had a huge home run. The place went crazy. I think it was a walk-off. Um, and it, it would just, it melted my heart. And I was like, this is where I belong. This is my franchise. That's dope. I That that night with Kyle Ripken, because he's one of my favorite players, the electricity, like you could feel it through the television. Of, of how important that, that day was and how important it was that, that he played in that game. Do you remember talking to people at all, like, while all of this was going on? I remember not really understanding exactly how big it was until my dad described it to me because it was more so like, hey, we're going to go to this game. This is going to be a big moment. And I was just excited to go hang out with my dad at a, at a ballpark. And when he described to me how important the moment was for Cal, just because when you have an athlete that is that durable and it's so unique to the sport, and my dad's always emphasized hard work to me. And he's always been, you give, you know, or as much as you give to something is as much as you're going to get out of it. That's always been the thing that he's instilled in me. So when he's like, this is somebody that is a, a great role model, I was like, okay, I get it because that's what you've taught me growing up. And now we're watching it play out, you know, in, in a professional a professional sports setting. So I, to me, it was just the connection with my dad. That's what I remember the most. Who was around us? I would have no idea. I feel like I blacked out at <laughs> the, like 13 years old. I'm like blacked out. I have no idea what else is going on. But um, 
that moment with my dad and I was pretty special. I love hearing stories on like getting indoctrinated into sports and the role that whether it's parents or, or uncles, or aunts or mentors play in that. So for you and your dad, was it were you guys always connected by sports? Yeah, totally. My dad played ball in, I mean, his whole life growing up basketball and he played it in college and he always loved it. Both, I have two brothers, both my brothers played both basketball and baseball. Um, We were just always a sports family, but I'm the oldest. So like for me and my middle brother and I are five years apart. So there was a five year period there where my dad only had me, he didn't have the boys. It was like, this is my boy. You know, I'm, I'm part of the Dat Boy Club. Like, that, this is what we're doing. And we're going to go play sports because it's a way to teach you so many life lessons. And it, it was the way that they were instilled in him. And that's how he knew to pass it on, on down to me. Did you play ball at all? I played um, a little bit of basketball, not in high school, but I was too small. I was just too small. And my ball handling skills weren't, weren't good enough to be like, a, you know, that that quick uh, point guard that moves up and down the court. But I played softball and field hockey um, varsity for four years in, in high school. So wait a minute. You're a Wizards fan as Jordan's ending his career there, right? Like, isn't that about, right. about the time where your fandom kicks in? Yep, yep. What was that like? Um, Amazing because anyone would love to say that they had, you know, a period where they got to see Michael Jordan play for their team. But also weird because everyone else was also hating on it. And they're like, oh, he's not as good. He just wants to come back just to say he could. Um, but we loved it. I mean, we embraced it as much as anyone did. To, just to be able to say that the greatest player who's ever played basketball played for your franchise, whether he was himself or not, it didn't matter. It was like, yo, we're going to go see MJ Ball. Okay, cool. Let, let's go. Yeah, that's dope. Did you always want to be a broadcaster or is that something that happened along the way? So I was terrible at almost everything other than sports going I, into high school. You know what? I'm telling you. I don't believe my that. My grades weren't good. There was nothing that I felt like I was strong at except for sports and writing. I did creative writing on the side, not writing in school, not assignments that I had given to me, but like just creative writing in my room on this, whatever I wanted to do, whatever flowed out of my brain. The only two things I was good at, I'm telling you. So my journalism teacher happened to live on the same block as my parents. And my mom was like, why don't you get into journalism if you love writing so much? And I'm like, I don't like the structure of it. I don't like deadlines, assignments. I'm not good with all that. She's like, try it and see how you feel. And my journalism teacher, who's one of my mentors to this day, basically said, well, if you're good at sports and you can write, you'll be the sports writer. So I did that for two years. I became the sports editor eventually. And then I fell in love with it. I mean, journalism was my home. I I figured out that this was my calling and I became the editor in chief. Um, And that's basically what got me into college because I didn't have much else to separate myself on my resume when I went to Maryland. And I got into the broadcast school in Maryland and switched over to um, to broadcast journalism rather than written. And it kind of took off from there. Because of your writing background, how do you think it helped you with electronic media? I mean, I, I was always told growing up in the business that if you can't write, you can't be in the business. They're like, it's not going to be a pretty face that's going to get you on TV. It's not going to be the fact that you can, you know, 
schmooze your way here or there, get a good interview or whatever the case may be. If you don't have writing as your backbone, you won't survive in the business. And that's been the biggest thing for me, at least going forward from where I started, because I had that writing background to be able to say like, all right, we have some breaking news here, right? We need you to write a quick 30 seconds, minute, 90 second piece. Got it. I'm on it. Let's go. And then they trust me because they know that I can write to get it all done and then present it on the air. And because that trust level exists, because I do have that writing background, it makes the whole process go much smoother. If you have to have somebody write stuff for you, it's an extra step. It's super inconvenient. And it's not really what the job is about. You know what I mean? Like if it's coming from you and you're presenting it, that's what makes it the most authentic that you possibly, you know, the most authentic way to deliver the, the material. What were, where was the point where you said, okay, I'm good at this. Like I got to college. I'm, I'm, I'm here in college park. I'm, I'm doing my thing here. It might turn into what I do for a living. There wasn't ever really a plan B for me. So I was doing this for my career, whether I was going to sink or swim. I mean, if they were like, you're going to be really bad at this for your whole career. I was like, well, then that's what it's going to be because there's no other option. Um, I think for me, I didn't really have a moment where I was like, you know what? I'm really, I'm, I feel strong about this. I had more of a moment of, okay, now I'm comfortable because I was nervous on camera for a really long time. Cause I didn't start off in broadcasting and, and growing up in high school, we didn't have the camera phone era where we were just kind of, you know, putting ourselves out there like that. We didn't have these YouTube shows and podcasts and stuff that all of these kids are so fortunate to have nowadays and get these reps in and get these, you know, um, and, and get practice that didn't really exist. And I'm not that old, but there was just such a huge shift more recently where kids are way more comfortable on camera than I feel like my generation, or at least that I was. And I remember that when I was in college and I was doing a broadcast for, for college, I was so nervous and I didn't have a blazer. So I didn't come prepared. And I was like sweating on air. One of my female co-anchors said, here, you can borrow my blazer. I sweat through her blazer and I was so embarrassed to give it back that I told her that I lost it because I was so nervous. I'm telling you, it was so bad. I was like, I ruined, like, I was just like, well, you're not getting that back. That is not going to be returned. That's just going to live in the trash can somewhere. And she's just never going to see it again. So like, it it was just, it was a period of growth for me trying to figure out how to be comfortable on camera how to be my most authentic self and, and, you know, learning through those growing pains. Then once I got comfortable, I was like, okay, I can do this job. Yeah. That's a hard part. Like that's a hard part for, for students. Like I know like in my, with my students, the first thing I do, like when in the olden times, when you could be around people, yeah. I always have them pick out a topic and I say, Oh, you know, I'll, you can talk about whatever you want. And then I pick someone and I go do it for a minute. And then I put the clock on them and they never make it because they don't have a sense of how long a minute is. And it's amazing to watch them go from that space of being terrified to at the end when I'm giving them assignments and they're like, give me, give me five more minutes on this. Like I want to do five more minutes. Like it's a great, great thing to have happen. So once you, once you got your confidence I, I imagine that a whole world opened up to you from an opportunity standpoint. 
it felt like there was very little that I couldn't do. I mean, I started taking jobs that I had no business taking just because I felt confident. I was a high school color analyst for girls soccer for a season and I've never played soccer and I had no business doing that job. <laughs> really? Yeah. But like I did my homework and I was confident enough where I felt like I could carry it. And it was a little rough at first and then it got better and then it got really good. So it was just going through the growing pains, going through that learning process. I mean, I was a sideline reporter for college basketball for a while. I worked for the A-10. That was a lot of fun. I did high school football championships up and down New Jersey um, and in New York. And then I started hosting shows, you know, then I was in the studio. Um, and, and that just opened up, a, I mean, like you said, a whole nother world because reading off teleprompter is something I'd never done before. I'd only done live sideline hits. And that's another skill that you have to learn. Um, but once you get all these skills under your belt, right, with that confidence comes these doors that open. And once the doors open and you walk through them, you go, okay, well then I can just keep walking and the doors will keep opening because I have this base that I've built of things that I'm, that I'm able to do. Do you still like to occasionally go out and cover something live? Love it. Love it. Why? It's, where my, it's because there's no do-over. You know, it's so pure and raw and whatever you're feeling and thinking and expressing to, you know, the people who are listening, your viewers in that moment, that's it. You get that one shot and that's your opportunity and then you move on. It's not like, oh, okay, well, that didn't go so well. Let's see if it, or let's see if we can do it better. No, no, no. It's, it's that or nothing. That's it. You got it. So you better take that opportunity, use that that moment that you get on air because you know that sideline hits are only really just a moment and and you know express the story the best way that you possibly can how did you get to mlb network to mlb network yeah so i was in dc and i got transferred up to um, sny in new york and they have the mets as their partnership right so they air the Mets games at Sportsnet New York and I worked for them I worked for the Mets for a little bit I did the in-game entertainment at City Field and then at MLB they had a show that opened up on their digital side that they wanted me to host called 1225 live with Alexa and we did a half hour daily baseball show that was a lot of fun then I ended up teaming up with Michael Kim Kim we the did best yeah, Kimmer, man. I mean, is that not one of the best guys in the business? Come on, you know, stop it's, it. He's it's, like my heart and soul. It's so funny because I, I think that when he's when he's done with his career and he looks back and he's going to see, like, all of us, like, connected to him. Yeah. Like, through it. Like, it's pretty amazing. Like, it's – Yeah. You talk about someone that – we both, like, we both have, have had Michael as a partner on yeah. air. And, it, and there's a calm about him that – therefore makes you calm a hundred percent a hundred percent so when I did the morning show with him which was three hours a day every day and poor Michael Kim he's put with an amateur who has no idea what she's doing at that point I'd really only done live hits and now I'm thrust into a studio for three hours uh he taught me to be a better anchor 110 percent you sit down and next you know next to that guy and not only does he trust you when he has no business 
trust in you whatsoever, but that trust that he instills in you makes you, like you said, way more calm and lets you, you know, just use your, your skills that you've acquired to, to do your job. So from that, I, uh, during that period, I auditioned at MLB network. They called me up. I did not get the job, my first audition. And then about six months later, they called me back and said, you know what? I feel like you've got more reps under your belt. Let's bring you back in. I auditioned for both baseball and hockey at that point, And then I got the job. Hmm. Before we get into MLB Network, I want to go back to your job with the Mets because I think that there's an important lesson in, in there and that a lot of people will be like, well, how in the world could you do this for the Mets when you grew up a, a Nationals fan? And, and that disassociation of this is who I am, you know, when I'm at home and I'm watching Nats games, I'm cheering. I work for the Mets. So I'm out here trying to to do this job. Like, was it difficult for you at all to take fan Alexa and and disassociate her with working Alexa? It was, I mean, that's a great question. And and, uh, a question that I was asked often by the fans. I mean, Mets fans are super loyal. And you better believe they called me out anytime they could because I wouldn't be obvious with it on social media. But if you dig in my social media, you can see that I'm from Washington and I bleed red. That's just how I've always been. So they would, they would get on my case about it a little bit. And I'd be like, listen, I'm from DC. I'm a Nats fan, but through that process of describing it, they would respect it because I'd say, that's where I grew up. You grew up here in Queens. That's why you're a diehard Mets fan. Do you want me to just switch over and become a Mets fan because I'm working for them right now? Like that, that wouldn't be where my loyalty lies. I like the Mets because one, they, they, pay my checks. And two, they're providing me with this unbelievable experience to interact with fans, to watch baseball, to be live in a stadium for 80 games during a season. And I love baseball. So like it, I'm having a good time out here. I'm providing the entertainment that y'all are, are here to see. What's the problem? And they'd be like, okay, all right. I hear you. I get it. Just don't show up with a national shirt here at City Field. I'm like, I won't do that, man. I'm not trying to disrespect anyone. I'm trying to have a good time, I'm trying to make a living. So it's like, like okay, you, you, it. you pushed back and, and Mets fans respected it. That's right. Yep. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What was the most fun that you had in that job? Covering the team during the World Series. I mean, there's nothing like being on the field when it says World Series across the grass. There is an energy, there is a, there's momentum leading up to it. There's hype 
in the stands, in the stadium, in the hallways, in the bowels of City Field. I mean, you could just feel it everywhere. When there's, you know, a matchup like Noah Syndergaard and Madison Bumgarner going at it for a wild card game, and you're on the field for that, there's nothing better. There's absolutely nothing better. Mad Bum and Thor dueling it out, you know, six innings, trying to trying to figure it out, going back and forth. And you're just sitting there like, I mean, I'm like a kid again, watching these guys, watching baseball and being able to be present for that was the most incredible moment. Unfortunately, the Mets lost and watching the Royals celebrate that World Series on their field was tough for Mets fans, but it was cool to be live there to watch a team celebrate. That was cool too. Yeah, I remember, and you know, I had to, I don't, I, I guess at this point, like everyone in Chicago knows that I'm a White Sox fan, but right. I've, I really have liked this new version of the Cubs. Since Theo got to the Cubs, like I liked their operation. I ended up liking a lot of the people that work over there, and I hosted mm-hmm. the Joe Madden show on the score, which was amazing, like to talk to yeah. him once a week. And I try to explain to people what you were saying about being on the field. There's something about it. I, it's, it's hard to describe because – you get a the way that baseball is produced now. It's produced beautifully, and you get about as close as you can get to mm-hmm. to games. But I remember I took a picture behind home plate at Wrigley during the sixteen World Series, and it's one of the most liked tweets that I've ever put out mm-hmm. because it and it was just like here's World Series, here's the view of of Wrigley Field as we get ready to start the world series and it's hard like even walking up the stairs when you're getting ready for a playoff game or an LCS it's it's hard to describe how incredible it feels and that energy that you're talking about you're right you can feel it it's it's walking around the ballpark it's the neighborhood it's everything and the cool part was I mean during the Nationals World Series run, I was in the stands as a fan for several of their games. And that energy obviously was incredible. But it's different when you actually are a part of it. When I was working for the Mets and I was contributing to the entertainment that was going out on the scoreboard for the fans who were there to watch the World Series. When I was interviewing players about their experience in a World Series, it was it was just another level. I mean it feels like you actually contributed in some teeny tiny minute way. If I could be so, you know, to even say that I contributed in, in whatever way sounds ridiculous, but it just, it feels like there was a part of you that, that kind of threw your hat into the mix and, and got that energy going. And it's awesome. What's it been like working at MLB network and doing those studio shows? Amazing. Incredible. I love it. There's nothing better. Because we get the, you know, we have the ability to talk to players before they step on the field for big games, big series, ask them all kinds of questions. We talk to them about, you know, guys in the clubhouse. We talk to them about what's going on in their lives, what's going on with their hitting streak, what's going on if they're struggling. And we get this inside information, this access that a lot of people don't get. And so when you're in studio and not only do you have players coming on constantly onto your show, giving you information that they don't normally share with other people. But then you have series breakdowns that you're doing with former players, Hall of Famers. 
And then you have former GMs who have put together incredible franchises sitting next to you, you know, talking about trades during, you know, um, either trade deadline or, or acquisitions that were made. And, you know, you've got guys like Dan O'Dowd, you know, former GM sitting next to you, or you've got Hall of Famer Pedro Martinez. He's standing next to you and he's doing an interview with a player with you. You're like, how am I here? Who invited me and said that I was capable to be able to be in this position? I mean, it's like, it's like pinch me. Um, I, I love it. It's incredible. It's a dream come true. As someone who grew up like just breathing baseball, what's something that sitting at the desk around great players or, or, or great front office people that like a light clicked on in your head and you're like, oh, and like you've learned something about the game that maybe you didn't know. Oh my gosh. Ron Darling teaching me about pitching was one of the best moments of my life. I mean, the fact that he will sit down with somebody who asked when I'm starting out, probably the, the worst, the most uneducated questions he's ever heard in his life about somebody who's coming to him like, well, I listen, I've never been a pitcher teach me about pitching and teaching me exactly what it means not only to be on the mound, but what pitches come out of your hand, which way, talking about spin rate and then flipping around, talking about being in the box and exit velocity and, and what all of that means. It, it's amazing. And, and that is just like a small snippet of an example of guys teaching me stuff on a daily basis. It's like you learn something new every day on every show because our analysts are just that good. And that's what they provide. They're trying to teach and they, and they talk about it all the time. They're like, Hey, if you're somebody younger out there, you want to pay attention to this. And I'm like, no, no, I'll listen too because I could always learn. And that growth process that, I mean, learning all of that from those guys, um, it's just an, an extra bonus and added benefit of working there. How'd you jump into the podcast game? I think I wanted something that I could control creatively have creative control over completely on my own. And I thought when I was at SMY, you know, I'm doing some on-air stuff here and there, but I really want something consistent and something that I've, you know, created from the ground up. And so I did, I borrowed a studio from a friend and just started asking local media to come on the podcast. And that's how it started. And then last year I flipped it over to a baseball exclusively um, podcast. And now it's just baseball players. And because of my connections with these ballplayers, I'll hit them up and say, hey, you know, you got a second to come on the podcast. They're gracious with their time. And we dive into their careers. They tell me embarrassing moments. They tell me, you know, funny things about their lives, their proposals to their girlfriends. And then, you know, stuff on the field, what it was like throwing that no hitter from Lucas Giolito, what it was like, you know, hitting that home run in a huge moment. So they're just so open. And I think it's also kind of cool because a lot of these guys have sisters, they have moms, so they relate to women really well. And I've got a co-host, Danny, who we both have really strong baseball backgrounds, but we're also two women. So they kind of feel like they're kicking it with their, their sisters or their girlfriends and, and just kind of hanging out. So that vibe comes across and that's like my favorite part of the podcast. Do you think that that's maybe an underused um, part of our, our medium that people will probably think, oh, well, they don't want to talk to women about the game, whereas you're right. You, you got a mom. You got a sister. You talk to them. They were probably with you all the way up to the, as you're making it to the major leagues, and they were probably in the stands and talking with you about the game. I wonder if we don't give the players enough credit 
that they are willing to share with women in our industry about the game. A hundred percent. You wouldn't believe the amount of times that players say to me, like, yo, I grew up with three sisters. I, th- those are the people that I go to, to talk about my slumps or to talk about my bad days or to get life advice from. And, and then obviously there are so many ball players who are close with their moms too, or aunts, or, you know, somebody who's really important in their life, who was a woman. And that's to me been, I think one of the biggest things in terms of going into the clubhouse and finding those connections, because yeah, we, we do underrate that. Why would they want to talk to a woman? Because they've been talking to a woman their entire life and they're super comfortable. Let me tell you something. They're more comfortable sometimes talking to women than they are to men. I agree with you. I, yeah. I think it's a, it, it is an undertapped thing that, that we do in our business. So for my Chicago peeps, like you had two great interviews. You had one with Jason Hayward. You had one with Lucas Giolito. I'm so happy that Lucas kind of found himself. And I know that you know Lucas from, from back DC. in the day when he was yeah. in D.C. What's it like for you to see – the guy that people were like, he's got a ton of ability, but hasn't put it together and see him then put it together. It's incredible. I mean, my heart was broken when the trade was made. I'll be honest. And I was like, man, Adam Eaton, I know nothing really about this dude, but like, come on in. You're now welcome because Lucas Giolito is gone and we're really sad. So fill this hole in our heart. And he did just that, obviously taking them um, to a, a world series win. So it was bittersweet, but Watching Giolito figure it out has been so incredible. Watching him grow as a man has been really incredible too, because as he came into his own on the mound and found himself, he also put himself out there more. I mean, he's doing a lot more interviews, the way he talks about baseball now. I saw him the other day doing a segment teaching kids about, you know, how to, um, how to throw his curveball, how much he was using his off-speed pitches and breaking it down for young kids. The fact that he's giving back is is so incredible to watch at such a young age. Um, but when he dominates on the mound, you're kind of like, yeah, that that we knew that there was that guy inside of him and he pulls it out and figured it out. And it's amazing to watch. It is. It, it, it's like, because even in the season where I believe he was the worst starting pitcher in baseball, like even <laughs> in that season, you saw these moments where you go, I get it. Like, you, like, I get why they made the trade for him. Like, I get why they wanted him. And to see, like, where he's come from, where the level of confidence that he had in throwing that no-hitter, like, just watching his face, watching him and McCann be on the same page and almost like having this telepathy where they didn't have to say anything. They each knew what was getting ready to happen. So I asked him what he took from the the day to remember the fact that he threw that no hitter. And he said he had the team send him the mound and he didn't realize when he just asked for the mound, he thought it was going to be a you know rectangular piece of rubber, how deep the mound actually goes. So he said he had it sent to his parents' house and a giant crate showed up at his parents' house. That was like five feet by three feet, like a baby elephant was going to be in there or something, this huge box. And his parents called him and were like, excuse me, what did you have delivered to our house? And he's like, oh, I just asked for the mound. Why? They're like, do you know how big an actual MLB mount, how far down it goes into the ground in order to, 
you know, stabilize it. And so the pitcher doesn't slip, you know, and, and bust his ankle. And he's like, oh yeah, no, I guess I didn't realize. So he's making a coffee table out of the mound for his parents because he wanted to make sure he remembered that moment. And also because it's so freaking huge. With Jason Hayward, I, I, I love that guy. I just think that he's a wonderful example of how to carry oneself as mm-hmm. a major leaguer and as someone who cares about the community. I had a great conversation with him a couple of weeks ago where he told me about Hank Aaron and his relationship with Hank Aaron. And you know what what dawned on me? You talk about you know, how we get this access. Like, Alexa, we know someone that was friends with Hank Aaron. Like, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's unbelievable. Have you ever met Hank Aaron? Did you ever meet Hank Aaron? No, I never got the chance to, to meet Hank Aaron. And I, I saw him. I went to um, – I was covering – this must have been, what, 2012 – I was covering the final four in Atlanta and obviously, you know, that's, that's Hank's town. So I went to the ballpark and I was walking around and I saw him and I wanted to, but you know, you don't want to bother anybody, but you see like the big 44 that was outside and he's, uh, he's amazing. I'm guessing you met him. No, I never did. Yeah. He's on my, he was, he was on my list of people that I would have loved to met. Is there anyone in the baseball world that you haven't met, that you're trying to meet? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean. Because you get some luminaries in Studio 21 now. Like, like, you all get the big people in there. But I just wonder, like, is there someone that, like, maybe you were coming in and, and they were going out or you heard, like, such and such was here. And you're like, man, <laughs> why ain't anybody Whatever. tell me? everyone wants to interview Mike Trout, right? That's kind of like the guy. And I've never met Mike Trout, never interviewed Mike Trout. I don't even know if he would want to be interviewed. So if that would be a a dream interview, I'm not really sure, but I'd love to sit down with him for a couple minutes and pick his brain. You know, the one guy that I've really, that's been really elusive that I've really tried to connect with, even to get him on the podcast, but I haven't seen him in studio yet is Tim Anderson. I would love to talk to Tim Anderson. Have you talked to TA? Yeah. TA and I have actually done a couple of events together Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because when he first got drafted, I remember talking to him and he was super confident, like super confident. And then the game humbled him a little bit. And then I was doing this thing where we were doing the, the amateur city elite program that the White Sox do, which is an amazing program. It's produced a lot of good players, including Ed Howard, who got drafted by the Cubs, strangely enough. And I remember sitting there with Tim and, and we were supposed to do a Q and a for the players. And, and he's like, look, like, just he's like, be easy on me. Like, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, and you could tell like he wanted to share but he was trying to figure out how. And to go from that to the guy now, I saw him in the clubhouse. Again, we used to be able to be people. Alexa, I was joking about this. I went from being at the Super Bowl to covering the All-Star game in Chicago last year. Uh-huh. Then immediately going to spring training, hanging out with Joe Madden at, at Diablo Stadium, and then I went to White Sox to there being nothing like like nothing. Like I came back and like the next week is when when lockdown happened. 
But I remember yeah. being in the clubhouse with T.A. and talking with him, and I walked out of the clubhouse, and I was like, I think the White Sox are going to be really good because mm-hmm. I had never seen the level of confidence from, like, you know, you know how all teams are. It's spring. Everyone's got a chance to win the World Series. No, there was a real, like, look at the dudes in this clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Look at the dudes that we have on this team. And you're seeing Aloy, and you're seeing T.A. and Moncada and Abreu. There was just a real – I've never seen the White Sox – I won't say never. The last time I saw the White Sox clubhouse that confident was 2006. So after they won the World Series and they bring right. in Jim Tomey. Like, mm-hmm. But T.A. has this thing where you – you believe him. Like, he mm-hmm. makes you believe. He's got so much confidence that he can loan you some. Right. And that's exactly what I want to sit down and pick through. When did it change? How did he, you know, get to this level? Um, are there moments where he doesn't feel confident that he has to talk himself up? Who does that for him? Does he does it, do it for himself? I mean, it, I would just, I would love to pick his brain. Well, he's He'd definitely be one of those guys. I think that you and him would vibe. I think you guys would. So now I'm hoping. Now I'm like, I, sh- I should, I got to make this happen. I got to get. Listen, we put it out into the universe. You never know. No, the you're right. Out there, you're that's right. What you do. Let's manifest this, and you yeah. and TA get an opportunity to be on the podcast, and that would be dope. See, I actually want. I want you to interview him on the pod. I don't even want you to interview him on TV. No, no, no on the pod. For yeah, sure on the pod. that's what I want. I want you and him to talk on the pod because I think it would be dope. Um. Before I let you go, what's a piece of advice that you would offer to a young broadcaster that sees you and goes, man, I want to do what Alexa's doing? Okay, there are two that I always stick with. For women in this business, because I like speaking to them specifically, find a female mentor. I didn't have one growing up, and it was very difficult. When there were situations that I would encounter, and I went to a male mentor to help me out, it would have changed the game completely for me had I had a a female to be able to rely on, to be able to confide in. And I think that it would have changed my path a little bit and made things a little bit easier. So if you are a female in this business, find a female mentor because and latch onto that person and ask them questions and pick their brain and get them to help you as much as you need to be helped. And then for everyone in the business, start a podcast, start a blog, whatever it is that you want to do, start it because then you have the creative control and you have all of the practice that you need at your own disposal. You're not waiting for somebody to tell you to go shoot something in order for you to get that one rep this week. You have your own podcast where you can create all of your own content. You can bolster your writing skills. You can work on your editing, whatever that it needs to be that that needs to be improved because all of those skills are going to come in handy at all points of your career. So start a podcast, start, start a blog, start a you know radio show in your bedroom with your friend, whatever it is, make sure that happens and then push that material out on every platform that you possibly can. Put a reel together, send that out and that's how you get your foot in the door. Alexa, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm glad that we are what we are 
one step away from Michael Kim. Uh, so we, we are like <laughs> right there connected, but you are. It's like the six degrees of, of Michael Kim. Yes, it, the six degrees of Michael Kim are going to be awesome. But I, every time I see you on MLB Network, I smile because I know that you're having as much fun sharing the information as I am getting it. And I think that that's a, I think that's a gift that you have. Um, I think it's, it, I think it's your strongest gift that your love of the game comes oozing out of you on TV. And that's a dope thing to do. I appreciate that, Lawrence. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was awesome. This is awesome. I'm so glad to be able to see you. Yeah, me Talk too. To you. you good? Yeah, I'm good. Good. I like hearing that. It's baseball time. It's time for all of us to get back outside again. I can't wait. I really can't wait. All right, be good. I'll talk to you soon. I'll let you know when this will probably be in a couple of weeks when I put this out. Okay. All Sorry. right. Thanks, Alexa. I'll see you soon. See you, buddy. I really like what Alexa said there about how she had to get to where she is, like the work that she put in, the work that she continues to put in, the way that she believes in authenticity when she is on the air. And it comes across. It, it comes across as very genuine. When you see Alexa on TV or you hear her in the podcast, and I'm not, I wasn't kidding about what I said earlier. She gets the big names on the That's What She Said podcast. But big thank you to her. I think her lessons are very important. And there's a lot that students can learn from her experience of getting to, to where she is. And just know that when you see her on TV, you're seeing a really good person. You, you, it, the, the smile is not fake. Like, it's legit. And she comes through. It, 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 it comes through television, and I just want you to know that she's good people, and she's someone that you should be keeping your eye on because she can do whatever she wants to do in this industry. She's clearly proven that, whether it's in radio interviews or her podcast or her being on TV, there's, there's not much that she can't accomplish. So we thank her. We thank her very much for being on the show. The podcast is brought to you by fine people like David Hochberg. If you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance your existing home, then you need to do what I did and call Team Hochberg. I pause for the people to do the Terry Boers noises. They made that request of me, and I wanted to honor that. Your trusted local lender, David built his business helping first responders and medical professionals with their mortgages and wanted to do more to say thank you. Every week, Team Hochberg recognizes first responders and medical professionals for keeping us safe and healthy. This week, Team Hochberg is recognizing Chief Mike McGrill, Deputy Chief Steve Mella, Battalion Chief Steve Kosick, John Bumgarner, and Mark Menzel, as well as the 50 firefighters and EMTs and five civilian support staff of the Wheeling Fire Department. I actually know a Steve Kosick. I wonder if it's the same. It can't be, right? Team Hochberg purchased lunch from Rise and Dine in Wheeling. You ever been there? I haven't been there. Sounds, I'm all about like a diner. I'm going to have to, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time in Wheeling, but I'm going to have to check out Rise and Dine. Owned by Ivan Ariola. First responders and medical professionals deserve our appreciation, and family-owned restaurants need our support. So this is David combining the two. Team Hogberg helped me and thousands of first responders, medical professionals, and, of course, you, the podcast listener. 
but he can't help if you don't call. 312-855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 1124061. So uh, before I wrap up today, can we talk about what's going on on the Sports Adjacent podcast for a second? So Sports Adjacent is a podcast that's done by Jason Leisure and Russ Dorsey. It's produced, so I'm the, I'm the executive producer of their podcast, meaning I'm the person that puts it on. They needed a place to put it. I said House of L is avail- available. I'd love to have you guys. And they said, all right, let's do that. So I'm the executive producer of it. Here's how I executively produce, by the way. I'm not here to um, do crazy overseeing stuff. I want people to do what they want to do on their pod as long as it doesn't get us in trouble. That's the way that I feel about it. I trust Russ and Jason to do the right thing. Now, I'm the executive producer of the entire thing. So, like, it's like when you're watching a movie and the movie is like, they, they have, like, the big production company that pops up first. I'm that for their podcast. There's also an executive producer of their pod, and it's Tony Gill. Here I was thinking that I was without Tony Gill, and now he is crept back into my life by being their executive producer. He also has an open mic, which is a dangerous thing for all of us, that Tony has an open mic. He is also the person who is in charge of editing. Now, I listen to each episode before it goes out, and if there was something that was objectionable, I could be like, eh, and then they would go back and, and rectify it. It's not that the stuff that is being said is objectionable, although I don't put it past Tony to say something that might be objectionable. It's just that Tony is now out here just being Tony. And he, he has no governor. He has no governor. And it is it is brought about some really great content. But Tony's fallen into that place of I don't know where Tony on the podcast starts and Tony Anthony Gill ends. So it's going to be fun to see how that continues on this this thing that we're doing with their podcast. If you haven't listened to the episodes of Sports Adjacent, do yourself a favor and go listen. And and know that Tony is out here with his takes. And he's got some bizarre ones. He really does. Podcast is brought to you by Zenny. Zenny.com. If you haven't, just go check out the website, Zenny.com. And I'm telling you, you'll find some you'll find some glasses that you like. I'm actually thinking about getting another like I'm crazy about glasses. I like to have a bunch of different colors and now I finally have the glasses that that do the shading with the light, which is really nice. I feel so fancy, and yet it was so inexpensive. 
So zinni.com, make sure that you check them out. But bills got to be paid, man. The lights got to stay on. You know what I'm saying? At some point, I got to pay myself. I've been derelict in not paying myself. But I think a lot of people who start small businesses are like that. Like, the dream is the business. It's not you getting rich necessarily. You know what I mean? Big thanks to Alexa Dat for coming through. Glad that she was available. Excellent episode. I got another great episode coming up. I got some other interviews in the can. I appreciate the support. Make sure you check out Sports Adjacent with those three individuals. And check out what Maddie Lee is doing. Every other week, she comes through with a great baseball podcast. And this week, the one that she did with her Little League team is awesome. So check that out. Thanks for your support of House of L Actual. Yeah, the thing that I do. I'll be back next week with a new episode.